So Romans 4, verses 13 to 25. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but it was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Thanks, Christine. Uh, If you can keep uh, Romans chapter 4 open, that would be really helpful. Uh, Now, I've told this story before, um, but uh, you all loved laughing at my misfortune, so I thought I'd use it again. Uh, A few years back, Adele and I had the privilege of uh, recreating our honeymoon for one of our wedding anniversaries. Uh, So 15 years, uh, not quite to the day, but 15 years after we got married, we went back to the resort uh, that we went to on our honeymoon in the Cook Islands. Uh, It was beautiful. There's kind of a lagoon uh, out there with kind of clear blue water. Um, But the thing that was different about when we went back was that these things had been invented called stand-up paddle boards. Uh, And so we're there at this resort looking at these people gliding across the lagoon on their stand-up paddle boards. And I'm like, that looks great. That looks awesome. We're going to give it a go. Uh, Adele, she she beat me to it. Uh, She she got the board first and she uh, went out and she kind of got it pretty quickly. A little unstable at first, but she kind of nailed it pretty quickly and she's kind of gliding across the lagoon. I'm like... It can't be that hard. Like, uh, Adele's pretty competent in most things, but if Adele can do it, I can do it, right? And so then I go and I get the... It's my turn to get the paddleboard, and I kind of go out on my knees, which is what you're supposed to do, and then I go to stand up, and the thing just kind of folds in two. Uh, It folds like... It closes like a book on me uh, as I fall off into the water, losing my sunglasses. Uh, Now, I didn't realize. I thought that they were, like, solid, but they're actually inflatable, Uh, But the thing was, uh, I realized that my faith in this board was misplaced. My faith that this board was big enough, strong enough, sturdy enough to hold a guy like me 
Uh, it was misplaced. It wasn't up to the job. Uh, here in this last passage that we're looking at from the book of Romans, uh, in this section we're doing, uh, Romans chapter 1 to 4, uh, this is all about having faith in the right thing, putting your trust in the right thing, faith that really does work, faith that really does save. And Paul has three things to tell us about the sort of faith that saves. The first is the extent of faith that saves, the second is the object of faith that saves, and the third is the example of faith that saves. Uh, So let's jump in. The extent of faith that saves. Uh, Who can have this faith? Who can have it? And how secure is this faith? Have a look there at chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but to also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So what's the extent of faith that saves? Who does it reach? Is it just for religious people? Is it just for Jewish people? Is it just for good people? Is it just for people who come come from a Christian home? Is it just for those who got dedicated as a child? Well, Paul is saying here that faith that saves, it extends, it is available to everyone. Uh, It's for, for those, Paul says here, do you see it? On the one hand, it's for those on the one hand who have the law, and on the other hand, it's for those who follow in Abraham's footsteps. That is, they, they, they trust in God without the law. In other words, I, I, what Paul is saying here is that faith that saves, it's for Jews and non-Jews alike. It is for all people because all people are saved by faith. See, he uses those who are of the law in verse 16. He's referring to the historical people of God, the Jews. Now, it's really important for us to realize here, to not make the mistake Uh, Paul is not talking about two different ways of being saved, two different ways of being declared right with God. He's not saying that on the one hand, some will be declared right with God through their works of the law, and on the other hand, some will be declared right with God uh, through faith. No, he's using this to speak of two different groups of people. And whether you've got the law or whether you don't, all of those who are saved, all of those who are declared righteous, it will only ever be and always has been on the basis of faith. That's been God's promise all along, from the very beginning, even before the law was given. God saved people when they put their trust in Him. I backtrack a little to verse 13. Uh, Verse 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but the righteousness that comes by faith. For it is those who depend on the law, for those who depend on the law are heirs, sorry, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. What Paul is saying here is that it's always been a matter of faith. And you can tell because Abraham was saved by faith before the law even existed, before the law had even been given. And so what what Paul is saying here is the extent of faith, well, that is open to everyone. It is extended to everyone, not just the Jewish nation, not just those with the law, not just those in the family line of Abraham. And now, if you're feeling like this is like deja vu all over again, uh, you're not wrong. Uh, we heard this last week. Uh, being declared right with God through faith is for everyone. And now it's, it's important to realize that uh, uh, Paul is not like, like, like that, that old guy who kind of tells you a story again and you've already heard it before and he doesn't realize he's telling you. Is Paul's not like that. Uh, 
the question we've got to ask is, why does Paul say this again this week? What is Paul telling us here that we didn't see earlier in Romans, that we didn't hear last week as we looked at the first half of chapter 4? I think the answer is there in verse 16. I think it's the word guaranteed. Have a look at verse 16 again. The promise comes by faith so that it might be, might be by grace, so, so, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. You see, that's the new bit of information we get in this part of uh, chapter 4. Uh, it's guaranteed, it's secured. There is great assurance to being declared right with God, to being saved on the basis of faith, on the basis of what God has done, not on what we have done. You see, the extent of faith that saves, it's, 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 it's quantitative. It's, it's for everyone, but it's also qualitative. The extent of faith, it really does save. It's guaranteed to all who have faith because of what Jesus has done. Now, this is really important for us to get our heads around. It's critical because a lot of people uh, think of God as a demanding, holy being who is only placated. He's only happy with our back-breaking moral effort. Many deeply religious people think that God cares most about our performance. If I obey Him, if I please Him, if I keep His rules, only then will I be accepted by Him. That, that pretty much sums up almost all religions. Salvation, heaven, progress, blessing, peace, whatever you want to call it, it only comes through what I do. We see it in Judaism, we see it in Islam, we see it in many Christians. God only cares about one thing, my performance. And so on the last day, we'll either be declared righteous or not, on the basis of how well we've done. Now, this leads to two possible outcomes. Uh, one, it leads to pride. Look at me, look what I've done. God must be pleased with me. Or what I used to say as a kid, God must be stoked to have a guy like me on his team. I'm so much better than all those other people. It either leads to pride or it leads to guilt no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, I just, I just, I just know I, I, I cannot measure up. There is no way that God could love me. We're either puffed up with pride or we're racked with guilt or we just oscillate between the two. You see, if we are saved by what we do. If God only accepts us on our moral performance, it leaves us with either pride or guilt, and it leaves us with uncertainty. We can never be sure. You see, if you ask a Jew or a Muslim, or for that matter, many people who call themselves Christians, if you ask them if they are going to heaven, most likely they'll say this. Most likely they'll say, I really hope so. I really hope so, but it's not for me to say. We'll have to wait and see. Who knows whether I've done enough? And so their eternal future is uncertain uh, and, and it can slip away at a moment of failure. But not so 
the one who trusts in what God has done in Jesus. Uh, Billy Graham, the American evangelist, was asked on a TV interview, uh, he was asked by the interviewer, where are you going to go when you die? Uh, Billy Graham replied without any hesitation. He said uh, that he knew for certain he was going to be with God in heaven. And the interviewer was kind of somewhat taken aback by that, uh, taken aback by his confidence and said, how can you be sure? Isn't it arrogant and presumptuous to assume that you're going to heaven? How do you know that you've done enough? So that Billy Graham gently responded, I'm not trusting in what I've done, but trusting entirely in what God has done. That is why I can be so sure. And this certainty, this, this rock-solid assurance is what sets biblical Christianity apart from all the other religions and all the other worldviews and all the other faiths. Paul is saying, because you are saved by faith, because you, you can be certain of being declared right with God, you can be certain because it's not based on what you do, but entirely based on what God has done. And so you can be guaranteed that you'll be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. And that's good news, isn't it? Knowing for certain that you inherit the promised blessings of God for his people. You see, that's the extent of faith that saves. It, it, it reaches far and wide. It is for everyone. And it guarantees, it gives us certainty that we will be declared right with God on that last day. And faith that saves, it can only save because of the object of that faith. It can only save because of the one that that faith is placed in. Look at verse 17 with me. Verse 17, as it is written, this is uh, speaking about Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. He, that is Abraham, is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. What Paul is saying here is that the only faith that saves is faith that has God as its object. In other words, the only faith that saves is faith in God. Now, that might sound pretty obvious, uh, but it's worth reminding us, uh, worth us remembering all these things. Uh, it's worth us remembering that we're all trusting in something. Uh, some of us trust in our own good works. Some of us trust or have faith that there is no God. Uh, some believe that it's our, our race or our religion or our nationality uh, that will be the thing that saves us in the end. We all have faith. We're all trusting in someone or something. And so the object of that faith is critical. Uh, a few years back, I was at a wedding. Uh, it, was on a, it was a hot Australian summer's day. It was about 40 degrees. And at the wedding, we were sitting on those kind of white molded plastic chairs. You know the ones? Um, it's a hot day. Uh, the father of the bride's speech is dragging on and on and on. And then suddenly, bang! One of the plastic garden chairs has done the splits and dropped a poor wedding guest on the floor. It's completely collapsed from underneath them. And all of a sudden, everyone is just sitting that little bit more light in their chair, a little bit more anxious, uh, hoping the speech is going to end soon so we can all stand up and be certain that we're not going to fall on the ground. You see, we were fine up until that point when all of, all of a sudden we no longer had faith. I no longer trust, trusted that my chair was going to hold me as it kind of flexed and warped in the heat. 
You see, the object, the thing that we place our trust in, it really does matter. If you're going to trust in something, you really want to make sure that thing is trustworthy. And if you're talking about your eternal destiny, not just your dignity, if you're talking about your eternal destiny, if you're talking about the difference between heaven and hell, you really want to be sure that the thing you are trusting in, the thing you are putting your faith in is reliable, that it can carry you through. And so if God is going to be the object of our faith, it is worth you doing your due diligence on Him. Make sure He is trustworthy, right? So can God be trusted? Well, Paul here, he says emphatically, yes, he can. God can be trusted. It makes sense to put God as the object of our faith. Uh, Paul gives us two compelling reasons, uh, and they can be seen in the example of Abraham that we have here. Uh, First, it's right and sensible to have God as the object of our faith because God uh, is the one who makes promises. Uh, Do you see that as we read the passage? Uh, The word uh, promise appears five times in the passage. Um, Verse 13, it was not not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that they'll be heirs of the world, but that promise through the righteousness comes through the righteousness that comes by faith. Then verse 14, for it is those who depend on the law are heirs, faith faith means nothing and the promise is void. Verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, faith and gave glory to God. And verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. You see, it's pretty consistent here. God is in the business of making promises to his people. And in fact, the, the story of the Bible is a story of God who time and time and time again makes promises to his people. Uh, but that's not quite enough. Knowing that God is the God who makes promises, uh, does God have a track record of, of keeping his promises? I mean, I could promise that I'm going to give all of you $1,000 this morning cash after the service i'll stand at the door just hand out a thousand for you a thousand for you a thousand for you uh, and i could be really committed to that promise and i could desperately want to keep that promise and i could be entirely sincere in making that promise it's just that when it comes down to it there's no way that i can i can do it right there's no way i can come up with that sort of cash on a lazy sunday morning i don't have the one hundred and fifty thousand dollars required to be handing out a thousand dollars for each and every one of you so what about god Is he able to keep his promises? Is his word writing checks that his actions can't cash? Does he have the power to deliver? Well, again, Paul says, yes. Emphatically, yes, it is right and sensible to have God as the object of our faith because he can keep his promise, because he can do what is, humanly speaking, impossible to do. Have a look there at verse 17 in the second half. He is our father in the sight of God, this is Abraham, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. What Paul is saying here is God can do what he says he will do. God can do what we might think is impossible to be done. And Abraham, the great forefather of our faith, he experienced this firsthand when God promised him that he would have a son. 
Have a look at verse 18. Against all hope, verse 18, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. You see, God made a promise to Abraham that he would be a father and not just a father, but a father of many nations and humanly speaking, that wasn't possible. He's nearly 100 years old. His wife, Sarah... She was 90. They are a frail old couple. Older than anyone in this room. Uh, My granny is 93. Uh, She had a fall this week. She's recovering in hospital. She's not going to be having children anytime soon. Uh, In 2019, uh, there was a couple... Uh, in China, uh, and a husband and wife, and they became the oldest couple in the world to conceive a baby naturally, they think. No outside help uh, to fall pregnant. Do you want to guess how old they were? He was 68 and she was 67. That's still decades off. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, that's, that's still decades off Abraham and Sarah. Decades. And that couple in China, uh, they didn't trust her to be able to deliver the baby naturally, so they had to do a cesarean. It was too risky for someone at that age to go through labor. That's not an option for Sarah. Despite the obvious difficulties of Abraham being able to father anyone, let alone a nation, God delivers on his promise. Abraham believes God can do it. He trusts God. See what Paul says there in verse 18 again? Against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed. And verse 20, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That last bit there, verse 29, it's a great summary, isn't it? It totally nails why faith in God is a right and sensible thing to do, why God is a good object for our faith. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised he would do. The extent of faith that saves, it's for everyone, and it guarantees that we'll be declared right with God. The object of our faith is God. He is willing and he is able to keep his promises. And we see through the Bible time and time and time again, God does what he says he will do. And finally, we have an example of faith that saves. It's there in verse 22. Verse 22, that is why it's credited to him, that is Abraham, as righteousness. The word, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. It's interesting that the account of Abraham's faith that saves him, it's not just an account for Abraham for himself, just a nice little story for him to tell his grandchildren that God gave him. Uh, 
No, Paul is saying that Abraham's faith in God, it was for us, for our sake. In some sense, in some way, it was an example for us. An example for us of the sort of faith that saves. It's quite extraordinary what Paul is saying here. It all happened for our benefits. Paul is saying that God ordered history of his dealings with mankind. He arranged it to be written down uh, thousands and thousands of years ago in the book of Genesis. And it was all done so that you and me sitting here would know what faith that saves actually looks like. Verse 23 again, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You want to know what faith that saves looks like? Look at Abraham, the perfect example. The one who trusted not in his own righteousness, but trusted in the promises of God. Now, of course, we haven't been given the same promises that God gave to Abraham. We haven't promised that we the father of a great nation or that we'll become uh, parents uh, into our kind of twilight years, as scary and as daunting and as, as freaked out as some of you look what that would be like. Imagine that. But Paul reminds us of the promise that God has made to us in verse 25. What's the promise God has made to us? Verse 25. He, that is Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. God has promised us, God has promised you that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, He is willing and He is able to forgive you, to declare you right with Him. And the obvious question is, are you trusting that promise? It's a question for every single one of us here today. Is your faith, is your trust solely on God's promise? His promise that Jesus died for your sins and was raised so that you might have eternal life. Are you trusting in that promise? Now, if you're here today, and if you're here and you, uh, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, the first thing I want to say is, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we're really glad that you've joined with us. Uh, but can I ask you, if you don't follow Jesus, why are you not trusting in God's promise to forgive you? Why are you not trusting in Jesus' death for you? Or to kind of put it another way, if you're not trusting in Jesus, what are you trusting in? It may, not be, it may be that you're, um, uh, you're not trusting uh, in Jesus uh, because you don't know enough about it. Uh, if that's the case, uh, that's fine. We'd love to share more with you about the hope and the joy and the life that can be found through trusting and following Jesus. But if you don't trust and follow Jesus, it may be because you don't think that you're in need of a saviour. 
Uh, early on, I mentioned that uh, most people on the planet think that God cares most about our moral performance. Uh, you know, good people who do good things go to heaven, that sort of thing. Uh, but I actually think most people in Wellington uh, think that um, God, if he exists at all, uh, they think that God just tolerates everyone. I think that's the predominant view in Wellington. Uh, no matter how they live, God just welcomes everyone. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, the great author, puts it like this. He says, we want a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence, whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. I think that's what most people think about when they think about God, if they ever think about him. Now, if you think this is what God is like, that he's just going to welcome us all in the end, that he doesn't care about how we live, that he doesn't care about what we do to his world, if you think, I don't need to please anyone or obey anyone but myself, if that's, if that's where you sit, can I lovingly and respectfully point something out to you? Do you realize that that too is a position of faith? To think that God will not judge? To think that there is no heaven and hell? That's to believe and to trust certain things about God and about the world and about the universe. That is a position of faith, of belief, of trust. And if that is the case, can I respectfully and lovingly ask, on what basis do you have that faith? What is the foundation for that belief? On what are you basing that idea about what God is like? Because I think most people, if they are honest... That admit it really isn't based on much more than wishful thinking. Just hoping that it's all going to work out in the end. I think I'd want to say that my eternal future, my purpose for life now, I, I, want, I want that to be based on more than just wishful thinking just hoping it's all going to work out in the end. But we don't have to guess. And we don't have to hope, do we? Because here in Romans, in the Bible, we have God's word to us, God revealing himself to us, his love and his promises to us. And God is speaking to us loud and clear that he alone is holy and right and just. And God is emphatic, as we've seen through Romans chapter 1 to 4, that we have all sinned that we all fall short of the glory of God, that, that we are all unrighteous as we stand before him and we deserve his just condemnation and wrath. But God's promise is declared as well. His love and his mercy and his grace and his kindness because he opens up a way for us to get not what we deserve, but to get his mercy and grace. He has made a way by taking the sin, by taking the unrighteousness, by taking the judgment and the wrath that is ours. And he takes it on himself in the Lord Jesus. We see it there in verse 25. 
he, that is Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. God has promised that everyone, Jew and Gentile, male and female, young and old, everyone can be saved through faith in him alone. Faith that is confident. Faith that is resting on the guarantee of who God is and what he has done. Faith that is in him, trusting, being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised to do. And so I want to finish with one simple question. Do you have this faith that saves? Do you have this faith that saves? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, the way that speaks to us of the truth of who you are and what you have done. And Lord, we pray that through your mercy and grace that you might give us the faith that saves, the faith in you and not in ourselves so that we might be your people, so that we might be heirs and inheritors to your promises, so that we might be with you in the last day and welcomed into your eternal kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If the band want to come up, uh, we're going to uh, sing together about this faith that saves, uh, that it comes to us only through grace. It only comes to us because of God's mercy and kindness. Not because of our moral performance, not because of what we have done, uh, but because of what God has done for us in Jesus. We read these words before. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it might be, so that it may be grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Please stand as we sing about this faith that comes only by grace.